Welcome to episode six of the Give Us Time podcast, uh, the podcast that highlights the extraordinary members of our armed forces and their families. Um, this episode, we have an amazing guest. She set up and ran Band of Sisters and Band of Brothers from scratch, creating a service that offers support and a listening ear for loved ones of our military heroes. For those regular on the podcast, you may have heard her name before, as she is the wife of our ambassador, David Richmond. Um, and now you're going to hear the force behind the colonel, we are pleased to welcome Alison Richmond. So, Alison, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Nice to speak to you. The force um, behind the colonel. <laughs> Where did you dig that from? Um, I'm it's incredibly great. professional. It's true. It's true. Is it Ali? Is that right? Uh-huh. Behind uh, every successful man. Oh, yeah. I know. Uh, and as you can hear, joining us as always is Scotty Derrick and Rupert Forrest. Hello. So our first question uh, we want to go and ask is, um, Ali, do you mind just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. Um, oh, going back how far? Let's um, start off to, you know, I think when you first met David then, around that sort of time. Okay, so I... <laughs> I can actually. I met him at a wedding, bit of a, you know, that's fairly normal. Met him at a wedding and I was going through my don't trust any man stage, which women go through fairly frequently when they're younger. Um, he was quite persistent. Um, so I decided to go along with it. Actually, it was great. Um, he was about to go away for six months. So I saw him, well, maybe a handful of times, if that. And then it was back in the days, um, early 90s, where the only form of communication was through blueies, which is where you write to each other. Of course, he went away and we were just mates. And we wrote to each other for six months. And, oh. and actually, it was because, of course, you don't get that now. You can text and you can speak whenever you want to. We got to know each other because, of course, you had to fill a bluey every time you wrote something. Um, which was really nice. I didn't see him in the middle. We were trying to see if we could meet, do a holiday. It wasn't going to work. Uh, and when he came home after six months, I have to say I was a bit scared. I didn't even have a photograph. I couldn't remember what he looked like. I didn't know what it was going to be like when I saw him. But actually, it was, um, well, clearly it was all OK. He came back in September and we got engaged uh, uh, December. <laughs> so it was quite quick. Um, but actually, I think that old-fashioned way of getting to know somebody was quite nice. Um, oh, amazing. What? So you guys, it, had, it hadn't even been a year. No, <laughs> no, no, a matter of weeks. Oh, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. Crazy. And blueies were yeah. really good yeah. you know, to, to write your blueies. But, so was David able to write his bluey in crayons wherever he was and draw little <laughs> pictures and stuff and then send yeah. it back? Yeah, you'd get, do you know what, you'd get nothing and then all of a sudden you'd get six or seven coming through because it all depended, didn't it, when they got picked up, uh, where they were in the jungle to when they could actually send them, so, which was quite nice. And then we got married in 92, so by the time David left the army, I think that, did that make, as a military wife for 20 years, um, oh, wow. and um, we're now in our final house, which is our, so we moved 15 times, which was quite a lot, a lot of upheaval, but it sounds worse than it did. Actually, it didn't ever feel that bad. Um, we had a few short postings that kind of added to the average, but most of them were about two years in one place. Oh, okay. 
So obviously from um, our last previous guests, we've heard it from obviously their side of it, um, yeah. of, from them being deployed. Um, do you mind telling us what it's like of, from your side of it? Um, yeah. it's like you've, you've obviously gone into a little bit of detail there, but you just want expanding, you know, what what it's like being a military spouse. Yeah, and it ought, do you know, it really does depend on the deployment. Funnily enough, David's final employment, uh, deployment to Afghanistan was very different he'd done it he'd been to Iraq a couple of times before and the first time was scary um in fact the first time to Iraq was very scary because that was at the time uh we got engaged literally the day he got called up uh they were told at Christmas time that um it was highly unlikely they were going um we decided to um tell everyone we were going to get engaged um, and David didn't turn up to come and see my parents and it turned out that the CEO had called them all in um, but of course all we were hearing on the news was biological and chemical warfare um, so when he went out um, it was really scary and actually the worst was waking up one morning in the days of radio alarms and hearing that that was it we were at war with Iraq and just having this awful gut feeling because you just didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so that was my first experience as a girlfriend, really. Um, and then afterwards, I think by the time they deployed, you kind of want them to go because I think what people don't realise, they don't just get up and leave one day. 18 months before they go away, they're preparing to go away. So they're constantly away on exercise. So you don't see a huge amount of them anyway. Um, and then about a couple of weeks before they go, their kind of mindset has already moved. They're out there. They've, you know, they're in that zone of needing to go. Um, and actually, it's quite tricky because you, you get to the stage where you just think, just go just just leave now it's it's quite stressful all around for all of us and then when they go I'd say the first couple of weeks is just ugh, you know getting into that routine and then particularly if you had children um you get into a real routine with them where you become you know mum and dad um everything um and then of course when they come back it's wonderful again to see them but they kind of get a bit in the way I don't, I don't, I don't mean that in an awful way. But you've, you've got this lovely routine going. You've got your, your sort of maybe your new disciplines in place with your children, and they come back and sort of ruin it. Or they leave their boots all over the place. They're a mess. Um, the children, all the things you've taught them, they can't do. All of a sudden, they can do because daddy's home. Um, so it, it's, it's quite tricky actually. Um, but yeah, again, it does depend where they're going. I mean, the last the last time David went away was Afghanistan. And obviously, as you know, he didn't come back in the way that we were hoping to. And we all, I think there was almost a bit of a sixth sense. I sort of had a really funny feeling about it. And funnily enough, so did my eldest daughter. Um, they were 10 and 12 when he first went they had their birthdays whilst he was out there and my eldest daughter said to me I knew something was going to happen I had this horrible feeling which was really quite strange and, and actually when we told her she sort of nodded along as if to say yeah I guessed something like that was going to happen which was really odd really weird feeling oh wow but, um, yeah, and when it, it's funny because when I um, 
when I got the phone call, um, I was preparing to go away for the weekend uh, with a friend, with all our, with the four, her two children and my two children. So, and I was working from home at the time. So I was busy trying to sort of finish off all the bits with the work. I was busy trying to make a great big chili to take with us to eat that evening. And <laughs> I remember then having to, I got a first right, I got a phone call whilst I was stirring the chili. And so when David used to phone when we were in Canterbury, we had a phone at the top of the house um, where he normally phoned us on because you were only allowed uh, something like half an hour a week. It wasn't very long to have a call. And we'd found that our personal calls ended up being about other sort of welfare issues that had been going on. So we never really had that time for ourselves. So they set up a satellite phone for us in the house so that anything welfare or anything he felt I needed to know, he'd ring me on the upstairs phone. Well, my normal landline downstairs phone rung and I got a sort of a, mum, a mumbled voice and I'm like, hello, couldn't hear what it was, mumbled voice and some heavy breathing. And then it went dead. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I really could do without this. Put the phone down, thinking it was um, I've said like a dodgy, dirty phone call or something like that. Sorry but about that. <laughs> <laughs> but the weird thing was inside, I never thought it was David then. But I thought for some reason somebody in Afghanistan had got my number. I don't know why. I mean, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But I had a bit of a kind of weird feeling about it. And then as I was about to go off, I thought, ah, I haven't told Jamie, who was our family's officer, where I'm going. And it was drilled into us that if ever we went away, whatever we were doing, we had to let him know. Because, of course, if anything happened to your, your other half, they needed to be able to get hold of you quickly. Um, I thought, right, I must just run in there and go and go and tell him. And I ran into the office. I remember seeing him. He was just, he looked at me and he was completely grey. Of course, what I didn't know then was that he'd received the news, but had been told that David wanted to self-inform, if possible, so he wasn't to say anything. And I thought he was looking a bit grey because his wife was living up in um, Scotland and I know he missed her. And wow. I remember saying, oh, Jamie, are you OK? You don't look too good. And he said, oh, no, 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 I'm fine. I see you missing Ange. And he went, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, I've just come to tell you I'm going away for the weekend. Of course, he looked, he went, right, OK, where, where are you going? So I gave him all the instructions. And of course, inside, he must have thought, you're not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> and I went off. Um, and then I got another phone call and it was just this time it was just really weird again it was this voice that I didn't recognize again there was a bit of breathing but it turns out what had happened is he had been handed a satellite phone before he was about to have the surgery and was because he was obviously drugged up he didn't know how to use it and nobody thought to step in and show him so we couldn't work it so that's how I got the heavy breathing and then it went dead whereas this time a nurse actually stood put it on for him and held the button and showed him how to work it and I remember him saying I was like who is it he said it's your husband I thought well <laughs> that's not something he would say that's weird and I started to almost feel a bit angry because I thought it was this 
dirty phone call again. And I thought, how dare you? How dare somebody phone up and pretend to be my husband? Um, and then I was like, where, where are you? And he said, well, I'm in Camp Bastion. I said, okay. At the time, David posted he was in a place called Masakala in Helmand. And I thought, well, that's odd because I had had notification he always says, I can't phone for a few days. And if you can't phone for a few days, you know that they're off out doing whatever, wherever. And he'd said that a couple of days before. So I thought, why is he now in Camp Bastion? And, um, and that's when he said, I'm, I'm in hospital. And then he explained sort of what had happened, um, which I have to say was, yeah, obviously a massive shock. Because the thing is, he couldn't, he was still quite drugged up. I didn't really think about asking him the right questions because you don't know how, you know, he'd said he'd been shot and he was seriously ill and they would get him home as soon as they could. But I hadn't really worked. I didn't know any more than that. And I remember at the end, he said, are you OK? Um, we'll get somebody to come round. And I put the phone down and thought, I don't I don't really get I don't understand. So how how bad is this? Um, and then obviously everything kicked in place and, and somebody had popped around and, and they didn't know either. Um, you get listings like your VSI and you think, well, what, do I, what, what do I do? Uh, what, what, what happens now? What do I do now? What, um, what happens? How do I tell the kids? How, you know, and, and everything sort of is a bit strange. And then I thought, well, I need to tell David's parents. Um, it's really important because I knew that I'd get the call being as they call you the dependent but also you know the parents are really important as well and, and thankfully you know I get on well with with them um, so because I know that has been an issue for some people with notification and they just arrived in Scotland actually and his mother she had, she had to phone me back because she was so stunned she didn't know what to say it's just not what you expect is it really it's not a call that anybody ever expects um, but yeah, I think the next bit was almost worse because nobody knew anything. Mm. Um, I didn't really know when he was coming back. I didn't know how bad it was going to be. I didn't know what, you just don't know anything, um, which is quite hard. And, and yeah. at that stage, Ali, was it, um, when you say you didn't really know, how long was it before you actually got an actual brief of what was wrong, how he got injured, how he got shot? Did you get any information like that or it was no. in theatre? this is what happened, he's on a flight coming back. Did you get much information at all or? No, I remember I got a call the next day from the uh, Amy, um, an AO, I think she was. Anyway, she was out there and she phoned me and said, I just need to let you know, I've been to see him. This is what's happened. He's going, they're getting him on a flight um, straight away he's, he'll be coming back and uh, blah 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 it was funny enough she says to me afterwards I remember meeting her um a few months after um David was back and she said I remember so clearly lying through my teeth and saying I'm with him he looks absolutely fine she said it, he was shocking he looked awful but she said I wasn't <laughs> going to tell you that um but yeah so she gave me those sort of that information and, and Jamie the family's officer he didn't really know very much he'd been given a bit of a brief but um yeah you don't you don't really know until they're back to be honest with you um but the fact I'd spoken to him um made a massive difference because I knew it was okay so 
um, you know, some people are put into induced comas and they don't see them and it's just awful. That didn't happen. He was awake and he could talk and actually that made a massive difference. So, yeah. I was going to go and um, I was going to go and say. Um, obviously, this was a this was a very high profile thing uh, and a high profile event at the time. Um, yeah, it made national newspapers. You know, with given David's rank and everything, was that sort of surreal seeing him perhaps on the news and just being like, "This is just." this is an out-of-body experience what, what's happening yeah do you know though I just I felt really uncomfortable with it because on the same day um two young lads from two Parab were killed and the why are they talking my husband was injured yeah mm. that's awful but two young lads were killed and that got a mention because they always mentioned when when something like that happened but i just felt it was really inappropriate um yeah. when some people are pay, paying the ultimate sacrifice there um so yeah i felt quite uncomfortable with it if i'm honest uh, yeah. but luckily i think um adam who had been the sort of spokesman at the time had mentioned that and said you know that please let's remember the two young lads that that paid the ultimate sacrifice which which was good you don't have to go and tell us what it was like if you don't want to um but you, you briefly spoke how was it you know telling your two kids at the time because what what were their ages well they just turned 11 and 13 so they're um, aware then they're, they're, yeah they're they aware are of what's going on around them. absolutely aware and you know listening to the news reading papers so they um they, they knew exactly what was going on yeah it was it was quite tricky because the problem was we um like many military families, you move around a lot, your kids go to school. My, both my children were at boarding school at the time. Um, and of course, I was in Canterbury and they were both in Wiltshire. And um, I didn't want them to, I found out late in the afternoon, um, I didn't want them to know that night because I didn't want them to go to bed on that without me being there. That would be the worst thing. So I remember phoning... Um, of my youngest school, spoke to her about it. She was amazing. Um, and I just, and she said, who knows? I just need to make sure that there's no way she will find out from anybody. She knew who my friends were. Um, she said, is there any way the news will get back? And I said, no, um, I, I will come, I'll come across tomorrow and I'll pick them both up. And she suggested, she said, okay, my suggestion would be because I was like, how do I tell her? What do I what do I say? And she said, well, just come along. And should I don't know. She said, does she need any school shoes or anything? I'm like, um, no, because take we'll just take her out of the lessons. And um, so what they did is they said to her, your, your mum wants wanted to come and see you and she's going to take you out for an ice cream. And I remember walking down and we went actually went to Salisbury Cathedral. And I remember thinking, Okay, she said, drop it into the conversation. But how do you kind of how do you drop that into a conversation? It was really odd. Anyway, I sort of managed, but thankfully it was sunny that day, so I could put sunglasses on because I did not want her to see what you know because I knew it was going to be really difficult. And I remember sort of saying, and she just looked at me and was like, "What?" And I said, "It's okay." And she just kept looking at me because she wanted to see what my reaction was to see what her reaction should be. So I was trying, I was literally digging my nails in thinking, like, come on, try. 
and be really grown up about this. So, and then, um, but you can't, can you? You know, it's real life. You can't. Um, but she, yeah, I, I think I possibly played it down a little bit too much. I think I just said, look, he's coming back. He's fine. I've spoken to him. Um, you know, I spoke, you know, we're going to see him now. That's it. He won't be going back out there, which is great news. Um, and I said, we're still going away because I was the friend I was meeting. Her husband phoned up and said, I think you should still meet her tonight because he comes back tomorrow. You don't want to be on your own. Go with the kids. Go and be with her. And actually, that was the right thing. So I was just trying to I was trying to be jolly. Um, looking back, I think I should have been possibly a little bit more honest. Um, my eldest daughter was due to go um, to France the next day. And I and it was it was a bit of a trip. It was one of those school cultural trips to Disneyland Paris. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. and I said to the housemistress, I really feel she should go. It's only overnight and then she can see him afterwards. Um, and so we sort of went along with that. Um, again, I don't know if that was the right decision, but you do, you just do what you think's right, don't you, at the time? And then we all went, um, we went away. And then the next day, I remember leaving early. I went via David's parents live in Worcester, which is on the way to Birmingham, which is quite handy. So I picked them up and then um, I was with Clara, my youngest, and the parents. And we all arrived at Selly Oak in Birmingham waiting, just that awful bit of waiting for the plane to arrive and then the ambulance to arrive, which is really surreal. It just feels like you're there forever. Um, didn't enjoy that, actually, because you're sitting, <laughs> you're sitting and there was lots of small talk and the uh, welfare service are amazing. Of course, they're just doing their job, but they're just chatting away about all sorts. And inside, I just wanted to scream. I don't want to talk. Stop yeah. talking about this. He's going to, you know, just, I don't know, it felt really odd. Um, I, I'm yeah. sure it would be surreal because I don't think, well, there's no handbook for this. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't know how you're going to feel. You don't know how the kids are going to feel. You don't no, know you don't. what's going to happen. You don't know what David's going to be like when he comes to the hospital. Nobody knows. So no. I think it's, yeah, we can have a baseline of say, right, this is sort of the procedure. Yeah. Um, however, that's loosely put together. Things yeah. change, as we know. Yeah. But as, as, as you said, Ali, it's, it's a massive shock to the system because yeah. yeah. you know that some things have got to change. Absolutely. Yeah. And you don't know what you're going to see. I mean, I was, I was sort of, you know, just desperate to see him. That just desperate. And, and when, of course, the worst thing is when the, the ambulance has arrived, you, you've been notified he's there in the hospital. And then we, it took what seemed like forever before we could go up. Because what I hadn't realised, he'd been quite ill on the flight. So it took him a long time to get him out and back up onto the ward. And, of course, you don't know that. You just think, I want to be there now. Um and I kept saying, can we go yet? And obviously they knew what was going on, but they weren't going to say. I remember in the end, they must have thought I was so bossy. I stood up and I said, I'm going now. And they were like, oh. And I said, I don't care what you say. I'm going now. Because <laughs> it just felt like such a long time, but it was fine. Um, they then just took us via the cafe to sort of kill a bit more time. And then, and then obviously we went up from there which was just yeah weird he was still in he was um he was still in his desert kit and he was um 
he hadn't been shaved or, or anything. He just looked dirty and grimy and grubby. And in fact, the nurse said afterwards that she was really angry when she saw that that's how he'd come back. Um, so they wanted to clean him up a bit naturally um, before we went up. And I can see that, see why they wanted to do that, because it literally looked like he just stepped out of the desert. It was weird. Yeah. Um, it just shows you how quick they actually get you from being out there. Yeah, yeah. Right at, right at the front doing the job that um, David was employed and then unfortunately got injured. And it just shows you how you get from there, you get to an aid point, you get dressed up, you go to another one, then you're, yeah. then he's put on loads of ketamine. Yeah. Forget forgets about everything. He lands in Birmingham, and then it's just quick, so you can it's understand so why quick. he was in that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, they did the right thing, but it's yeah. And fair play to the um, the medical teams that are actually out there and oh, the training training so. that the the boys and girls get who, you know. Know how to put tourniquets on, know how to inject, and know yeah. how to do X, Y, and Z. And the guys that are on the Mert helicopters are just phenomenal. And we've had the privilege to meet a couple of them um, through that, and they're just fantastic. The skill level is would put any doctor or surgeon to shame. And and they're and they're on a helicopter yeah. battling round the air and still Absolutely. keeping these guys and girls alive. Yeah. Amazing. I completely agree, Scotty. And I think that was the thing is when I knew he was in Camp Bastion and I knew coming back on the flight, I knew he was in really good hands because I'd seen the training they'd received. These they are amazing what they do um, and how and yeah, just their knowledge. And I don't know how they do it because obviously they were very busy, weren't they out there? Um, they do an incredible job. Yeah. And in the hospital the whole way through. I mean, I have got can honestly say everybody from start to finish was amazing. They all did their absolute utmost. I can't complain about any of it. I really couldn't. Yeah. They were amazing. So then um, move to, to David has landed. What was your yeah. first conversation with him then for once you know, first proper conversation of once you know all the drugs and all that had worn off and it was, you know. Yeah. I haven't finished that? making the chilli. <laughs> yes. yeah, what happened to the chili? <laughs> yeah. we, <laughs> we did actually take the chili and eat it that night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we well, we of course all of us went up. So it was David's mum and dad, myself and Clara, all all sort of um went up at the same time. And I remember then thinking, I just sort of turned to Clara and said, Don't be frightened. Um I don't know, there might be um, wires or machines, they could be all sorts, just, just, but whatever there is, is for the right reason, just don't be scared by it. Um, and yeah, actually that's the worst, and that was definitely, I think, because it was David's worst moment, when we, when we all walked in, Clara's face just dropped, because... Yeah, I mean, he got traction, I think, on the leg. It wasn't, it wasn't even the machines. It was just him. He was grey. He just he just didn't look well. Well, obviously, he wasn't well, but he really he can't explain that look. And he can't explain the smell. One thing they didn't, hadn't, uh, well, they'd warned us just beforehand that an opened wound is really smelly. But my goodness me, it was unbelievable, the smell. Never smelled anything like it before. I think I saw David obviously clocked Clara and she just literally went into shock 
And I think that was hard for me because I saw, and what well, was hard for David, but that was really hard seeing her like that because what do you do? Um, but the surgeon was absolutely brilliant and he took her off and he got down to her level and he was 100% honest with her about what had happened, what was going to happen. And I thought that was brilliant. It's definitely the way to be is 100% honest. Um, and then we were just working out logistics of who, because I'd said, because my in-laws live just over half an hour away from the hospital, 40 minutes maybe. I said that I'd go back with them all and stay there. But actually, there was no way I was leaving. You just you just can't. Um, so Clara went back with that with them after we'd all stayed for a long time. We'd had a long chat. Um, I think it was also hard because David's mother was quite frightened when she saw him and admitted to me afterwards that she didn't think he was going to make it because she hadn't just just sort of the look I never ever thought that though I knew all along that he was going to be okay it's just I just knew he would um gut feeling but I ended up uh, they found me a place um some of the accommodation that was there um was for families and there was a room and they they um found me a room there and I stayed the night and then actually ended up staying there for five and a half weeks I think in the end something like that well, but good. um yeah, but they were brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So I remember the, the family's officer saying to me, look, do, do you want a hotel or anything to stay in? I'm like, no, why would I want to stay in a hotel? You know, I want to be here um, with other families um, in the right place where literally you just walk across the road and you can come and go. Um, they're brilliant. You don't, you can literally, there's no visiting hours at all to start with. You can stay for as long as you want, which is really good really good well i think um, that's needed because you've been away for a long time yeah and who do you want closest to is your nearest and dearest so yeah. have that ability for you just to walk across the road or go to the shop and get my bag of sweets and then yeah come and yeah. just you know just chat is just just Absolutely. that's the way it should be and also to monitor a bit it was like well you mentioned earlier alex about um there being things in the paper and making something of it that continued afterwards. It was almost, I felt, it was like he was a novelty. Oh, look, a CO's been um, shot. He's been injured. Um, let's go and visit him. Even though they're not friends, but let's, go and, let's just go and just say we've done that. Mm. Um, and they have liaison officers um, that work there. And there was a Marine um, liaison officer who was really good because he was also quite strict with me as well um where he'd say what have you eaten for lunch because sometimes you just forget and he would say come on you need to go and eat or um if a visitor came in and spent too long he we had this sort of system where I gave him the look because I found it hard I just think oh they've come all this way whereas he knew it wasn't helping his recovery um and he would go and tell them that they had to hoof it um which was good um yeah, because otherwise you sort of sit there and you, I'd watch him and, and, and I think David always felt that he had to sort of sit up and chat to them. And, and as soon as they'd walk out, you'd see him like gone. Um, it was just too much. Um, when it was genuine, families and friends, of course, it was wonderful to see them. And that's absolutely what. But when it was just somebody coming along because of who he was mm. um, or that's what it felt like to me. 
I, I really didn't like that at all. And that's okay. just, uh, okay, chaps. We've got one of our own. Let's, let's, go, <laughs> let's go and see yeah. how young D- what's his name? David, David Driscoll. Yeah. We'll go and see him. We'll go and see him. Like, where's the hospital? Who's got the map? It's all right. Yeah. 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 Hello, David. Wrong, wrong one, sir. Oh, look. Hello, David. Yeah. It's the worst sort of military tourism. Oh, it's just awful. And this one chap, I had no idea who he is. Oh, God, I hope he doesn't listen to this. But he, I remember him coming in, plonking down a bottle of whiskey onto the table. And you think, what use <laughs> is that? What is he going to do with a bottle of whiskey? So yeah. like, Actually, he doesn't like whiskey anyway, but that's not the point, you know. It just uh, it just seemed all a bit odd. But pe- oh. people, are, um, people are really strange, aren't they? I mean, I, yeah. I, I ended up in hospital, silly silly accident with a knife uh, at a mess party. And um, it's uh, really weird. Uh, but I was sent off by the chaps. You know, he packed an overnight bag for me, which had a bottle of whiskey. 200 cigarettes, my record collection, and I think every book I'd ever read. Uh, and it was sort of no, no towel, no toothbrush. No, no that's you know, that's the military for you. you yeah. Know. Yeah. yeah. I am going to have to come back to that at some point, Rupert. Uh, not today. Yeah, not, not today, but an accident with a knife in a mess is something that you yeah. brush past quite quickly. <laughs> put, put that down, Alex. We'll yeah. Well, I've added that to my. I'll add that to my questions and to ask later. <laughs> um, but um, but Ali, so moving forward then to Headley Court. Mm. Um, how so? He was in hospital for five weeks, or was yeah. that how long you were just staying? It was, there it was for? about five and a half, six weeks, I think it was, in hospital. Um, where, yeah, I stayed in that little room to start with, and then when it became school holidays, I moved over into a flat um, because the girls could then come along as well. Um, my other daughter, my eldest daughter, had got came along beforehand, and in fact, she. Um, somebody went and picked her up and she came along to the hospital and she was only supposed to be there for the day and it was really clear that that wasn't the right thing to do Mm. so I decided that she could stay but my accommodation was uh, only for it was just for me I think you had to be over 18 to stay there Mm. but um, I'm afraid I ignored that and I snuck her in because I had a double bed there anyway I snuck her in and she stayed the night and actually the nurse in the morning was brilliant she just looked at me when I haven't seen anything because she knew (laughs) that she knew she wasn't allowed to be there but I just knew it was the right thing to do Mm. sometimes you just have to go with that don't you oh definitely Um, but but then they were great we had the flat and um, it meant that we could go and visit. But I was also keen to do a bit of sort of everything. I took them into Birmingham. We went to Cadbury's World just down the road and I tried to sort of mix the day up a little bit, mm. I guess, um, for them. Um, but, and, and then, yeah, he then went to Headley Court. And then it's just, it's very different because you've gone from a hospital where you're allowed to be there 24 seven and you're told everything. And it's a case of you go to Headley Court and the door is shut. Like they're, they're, they're mine now, thank you. Which is definitely the right thing to do because, of course, they now have to concentrate on the next stage. Um, and the last thing they need really is the family hanging around. Um, and it's their time, you know, to, to be with all the other guys that, that have been through um, similar um, experiences. It's their time to get better together. Um, but But I think what's hard is... 
of course, a lot of people will see it as um, the five and a half weeks in hospital. But what they don't see is the four years at Headley Court afterwards where they're mm. away for so many weeks on, so many weeks off for all that time. So whereas for many, it feels like the operational tour is over after six months. But for you as a family, it's quite a few years of going through continual hospital appointments, continual time at Headley Court. It's a long time. Um, yeah, it is a long time. You don't mo you just you just get on with it because everybody else is in the same boat. But um, there are times when you think, no, this hasn't finished yet. <laughs> wow. So where did um, the idea then from for Band of Sisters and Band of Brothers kind of come from then? Was that was that something that was building up over the four years? Or was this an idea that that you maybe had had beforehand? And No, it already started. So basically, when I um, when when I was sitting at David's bedside in hospital, we they sometimes there would be other visitors and people coming around on visits. And I first met Bryn and Emma Parry. Um, they came, I didn't know who they were. I'd vaguely heard of the charity Help for Heroes um, because they'd started the year before. But to be honest, unless you have something to do with the charity, you don't really necessarily know what they do or what they're doing. Um, and. I just remember they had a real impact on me because you could just tell they really cared. They had this genuine passion and actually we were probably the, yeah, the only um, sort of charity at the time that really said, well, what about how are you and how are you all coping? Is there anything that we can do? And, and that had a real impact. And I know it did on, on David's mother as well. And in fact, I remember going back to... Um, the, the room that night and going onto the computer and going onto the website and I ordered a load of the um, little mugs with teddy bears on which we've still got now because it just felt I just wanted to I thought right I, I want to do this mm. and I just knew it was a charity I wanted to be involved in at the time because of the impact that Bryn and Emma had had on me um, but we were still living in Canterbury um, and eventually, when we moved back to Wiltshire, um, I thought, right, I'm going to go in and I'm going to volunteer. Um, I'd given my job up before because uh, it was just impossible, quite frankly. David was to and from hospital, etc. So um, I, I just needed a bit of time. Um, so I went and helped out at the Tin Hut and it was great answering the phone, you know, helping with some of the letters and that kind of thing. Um, and the Band of Brothers had already um, started and that was purely because people were phoning the charity and offering um, days out or nice experiences and things like that. And there was no way of being able to get them to the guys. So they started the Band of Brothers initially. That's what they started it for, obviously morphed into more than that. And then um, Emma asked if I'd go along to a meeting um, because they wanted to talk about what they could do for the families. So I jumped at the chance and they'd um, they had other people who worked in the charity who um, had military connections. They had another mother, another wife, and um, they'd already got the name um, Band of Sisters and they'd sort of got an idea. And then we literally sat around the table and talked about what could be done and what needed to be done and how we could help. Um, and by that stage, actually, I was quite... I think I'd experienced 
where there was massive gaping holes. Nobody's fault necessarily, it's just they hadn't really thought about it. Um, and I had to fight quite a few battles actually, particularly regarding going up to hospitals. And I'd always said, I'm big enough and ugly enough to fight my, my corner and I will do it. And I was also, I was like that bit older than a lot of the others because, you know, David was 41 when he was injured. A lot of people are 20 years old, you know. Mm. Um, and some of the wives and, um, were really young. And of course, mothers don't necessarily understand the army system either. So they didn't know what. Um, so I just knew I needed to fight. Um, to, for them to have a voice and, and to be heard. Um, and at the end of the meeting, Emma just turned to me and said, well, I think you're the right person to run this. Do you want to do it? I was like, yes. <laughs> so um, that's how it all started, which was amazing. And is that when, obviously, I've been lucky enough to meet you and um, Ollie Metcalf, now yep. Brown, I believe. Yeah. Um, now, you, yep. you used to absolutely set up, like, um, a formidable team and a firm and um, friendly, formidable. It was just been fantastic how you have just turned that and then started to involve everybody and keep yeah. people informed. And fair play, Ali, I think it's been absolutely great what you and um, Ollie managed to achieve. And then not just that, but travel to the different areas of the United Kingdom and get everybody involved and come round the table and meet for a, something to eat, meet for a coffee, have a chat, get everybody together. Um, yeah, fair play, absolutely. Tip, I tip my hat to you, ma'am. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad that you mentioned Ollie Metcalf, as as you said, yet yeah, now Ollie Brown, because she was amazing um, and so passionate. And, and we made a I think, yeah, you're right. We made a great team, actually. Um, she's a great friend, always will be. And we were both fighters. There was no way somebody was going to say no if we knew it was the right thing to do. Um, so we probably didn't necessarily maybe upset a few people along the way. But it was for the right reasons. It was passion about getting it right. Um, yeah, they were sort of fantastic years, actually, just the best, without a doubt. But I have the the only that I'd say the downside is it completely takes over your life hmm. because that passion you're which, that you're driven by is you think about it, you breathe it, you feel it, you and and you kind of have to. But there's only so long you can do that for. Hmm. Um, before it starts to eat away um, mm. and actually it was amazing to do and I'm it's the best thing I've ever done without a doubt I have no regrets at all. So um, uh, as um, as a charity obviously Band of Sisters offered respite breaks to yeah. uh, and days out um, yeah. obviously as a charity we offer you know our main purpose yeah. is we, we hand out respite breaks and um and time together yeah what did what did you think the impact of those breaks were oh massive i mean it's just more than anything it's knowing that somebody else has thought about you that means a huge amount just knowing that somebody cares and somebody's offering that um and to get away from your from your four walls and to go somewhere else as a family and be a family um means a huge huge amount to have that time um, but no, yeah, I think what you're doing is wonderful um, oh, and offering you, breaks you. to families because it is so needed. And it is that it is 
behind it knowing that somebody's offered that to you somebody's cared enough and wanted to do it means more than going online and just booking something yourself yeah. somewhere it means so much more it was very to jump in on that too i was very humbled uh, by the fact that i was allowed to go on a give us time holiday joanne and i knowing that someone from the general public give up their timeshare or holiday home yeah um, so that joanne and i can have that because when i first mentioned about being ill and joanne didn't know when we were obviously married and i had that and then having that ability to go away and reconnect with yeah. your loved one in a yeah. safe, secure, beautiful place that someone has kindly given you, you can actually sit down and strip back the layers and be yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then put a plan together of how you're going to move forward. Yeah. And occasionally there is bleeps or where you fall backwards. Um, but you've got that plan that you've managed to sit in a beautiful place, sit with the ones you love, you yeah. can for formulate that plan so you're quite right it's absolutely but for me i find it i was very very humbled by it uh, and yeah. still to this day if someone says oh by the way this it's you know someone's actually sat down and said i can help these guys and girls who yeah who maybe need that little bit extra time and yeah i'd love to shake everybody's hand who's absolutely donated or given to both amazing charities because it, they're, they're just fantastic yeah, no, I think it's a great, it's, it is great. It's a wonderful thing that you're doing. And also with, you know, the, the family isn't what, I mean, some people just assume a family's a mother, a father and two kids or whatever. It's not. And, more, yeah. and with Band of Sisters, I certainly saw family is all sorts. And it's sometimes it's really tricky. Sometimes families don't like each other, um, particularly yeah. if somebody is married the wife doesn't necessarily get on with the mother-in-law. Now that happens quite a lot. <laughs> and then that's really quite tricky because yeah. there's the resentment, particularly with hospital. Well, the mother who, who's brought up the young lad for 20 odd years before he's got married is now feeling left out of it because they're not invited along because they don't come under the next of kin. Um, but the next of kin is chosen by the patient and it is hard um, and I, I found that one of the trickiest things particularly um, if a family didn't get on or if there were issues there um, and also the children um, my kids were older um, and I think they sort of they felt that nobody really took into account how the kiddies felt mm. from all ages um, and actually they were right. That's where there was something missing. Um, who explains to the child or even who tells the parent what to tell the child? How honest should you be? Um, and there was a guy um, who worked for the Army Welfare Service at um, Selyake and we get on quite well and we were having a chat about the children and what could be done. And he said, I think we should have a book or a magazine or something that's fun and interactive where um, we hand it to a family so at least somebody can read it to the child and be honest about it. And I remember thinking, absolutely, we have to do this. So I contacted Bryn and Emma, um, I, I was working there at the time and said, we have to do this, we have to, we, we, nobody's thinking about the children and that there's a 
slightly, I said, it's only a simple solution. It's not going to solve everything, but it will help those initial days. And, and Bryn himself had, he, he was an army child and he'd lost his father. So I knew he had a big understanding as well. And they said, okay, um, if you both put something together, bring it to us, tell us what it is that you want to do. So um, Glenn had put this fantastic um, presentation together and we went in there and we were all like, right, this is what we've got to do and this is why we want to do it. And, and I remember they just looked at us at the end, they went, yep, okay, off you go and do it then. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, was that, right. um, Ali, was, because uh, just jumping in on that, was that the stage, because Bryn is, is an amazing artist. Yes. As we know, like you can yeah. see all the pictures of the Terries yeah. or the, um, is when you started to put that program in place to inform yeah. the kids, is that yeah. when Bryn started to draw the different um, no. characters? No. Or was Do that you know done what? before? Yeah, he'd already had done all the bears with the different uniforms. And this is the first time, and he, it was amazing, he handed the blue, it over to somebody to do on his behalf. There's no way he could have done the book. He was far, far too busy. Um, but we found a company called Colour Heroes. That was just purely, that was just their name. They um, <laughs> it just so happened to fit in. And actually the guy who was the illustrator managed to copy Bryn's teddy bears and put them together. And we went through, I remember um, going through the, the text um, and, and Basically, we had it done, printed, ready and out in six weeks, oh. which was unbelievable. <laughs> and that was probably one of my proudest moments at work. Oh, amazing. <laughs> it was so not wonderful and scary to say, OK, go on, crack on. And, and then being allowed to do it, because we all know how um, liberating it is in, in work to be told you can do what you think is the right thing to do. And it was wonderful to see because then it meant that anybody else turning up to hospital had a book that somebody could sit down, they could read it through, saying it's okay to be upset, it's okay to be frightened, uh, this is what's going on. Um, it had stickers and all sorts of interaction on there. I mean, it was it was written in a way that um, there was also some, uh, it was also quite good for an adult. So it was aimed at all levels um, because sometimes an adult needs to know what to do as well yeah. you you don't know what you should be telling them well this just allowed you to read it so you could tell them the truth in a in an easy way um, oh fantastic well i have one final question okay. and then i'm going and then, I, and then i'm going to open it up to the floor obviously for everyone then to ask i just wanted to know what was your favorite thing uh, about being a military spouse oh wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. Oh, it's a hard question. It's a question that okay. I, I see. Um, well, I mean, I see a lot from, you know, I, I think online and everything. Um, yeah. Because we follow a lot of military spouses on our social media. Yeah. You know, sharing that, you know, being a military spouse is unique. You're not, it is to an ordinary spouse. Yeah. It's very, very, it's very, very different. Um, yeah. I know I've just really sprung that on you at the last No, minute, not so. at all. Do you know what? <laughs> it, it's actually... There's lots of wonderful things, but it's a really easy question if you to say what is the best for yeah. me, pride. I can't tell you how proud I am of the military. 
and everything they do and when it comes to like say when they put a bit of pomp and ceremony on which we all love and for us it was the pipes and drums or you'd go and watch and you'd literally you'd watch it and the pride because although what you're you're obviously seeing the pomp and ceremony you know of everything else that's going on and yeah no I'm I was very proud very proud um of everybody I mean obviously there's lots of other things there's it's Yeah, it's lots of difficult bits we've yeah. talked about you, you know you're a single mum a lot of the time you're on your own um but you make some incredible friends um you, you you meet a lot of people but you hold on to a handful that will always be your friends um and that was great they do oh, a good party brilliant. as well actually <laughs> <laughs> amazing well i'm going to open it up to the floor Oh, no. I dread to think what Scotty's going to ask me. No, no, Ali, it's not that bad. But <laughs> what we normally do, we just kind of put the guest on the spot here. I've got a quick fire. We call it oh, rapid lovely. fire. Yep. So it's one minute of rapid fire questions. If Alex, if I can have a minute on your stopwatch, please. Oh, no. Okay. It's, it's just first things that come to, come to mind, Ali, and try and keep it clean because it's a family show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well. Are you ready, Alex? Go. Here we go. Texting or talking? Talking. Favourite day of the week? Friday. Favourite city in the US? New York. New York. Did you have any nicknames your parents used to call you? No. (laughs) (laughs) There's a pause there. I might come back to that. <laughs> Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Speak every language in the world. Speak every language. Favorite holiday? Oh gosh, far too many. Uh, loads. Do you know what? A simple holiday to Cornwall with us, my family, would oh. beat even lots of. Yeah. Good. On a scale of one to ten, how good are you at keeping secrets? Nine. Nine? Oh. First, ce- first celebrity crush? Oh. Colin Firth. <laughs> Colin Firth? Yeah, until his part in Mamma Mia. <laughs> and then that was a bit sad for me, but Colin okay, so Firth. If you could travel back in time, what period would you go to? 1940s. 1940s. Ooh. And that's the minute up but I would oh, thanks Scotty no no, no <laughs> you're very welcome and also before I hand uh, questions over to Rupert you're very good at um, you're not you're, you're a bit of a, a gin lover I believe I do like gin yes and you do make it and I have sampled a couple I do uh, yeah. yeah yeah Just is that something you're going to keep your batch of which kind damson damson yeah it's quite nice actually well, you should maybe bottle some up and send it to Rupert. Uh, cause he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Ali, as, as a personal note from, as you, you've met my Joanne and I, and I said about David as well, for what you've done in setting up things and bringing everybody together, nobody can really thank enough for what you've actually done. Brilliant. Rupert, over to you. Yeah, I, I had a, a, 
a quick one, although I think it's quite difficult because um, you, you dealt with a lot of change over a very short period of time. And part of that was the fact that, you know, yeah, you, you left the services, mm -hmm. uh, as it were, at the end. And I, I, when I left, was very selfish about it. And it was all about me. But of course, I realised pretty quickly that, you know, Kate and indeed the kids, you know, yep. suddenly had a, a change of life. Definitely. What, what was that like for you? I think because we'd had quite a long lead up to finishing, you know, because of um, David was doing well, he, he, he did start to work again. Then it came quite clear that he was it was going to have to finish. So he went through the sort of um, what's called a PRU, a recovery stage. So we sort of knew it was going to end. Um, didn't really know what he was going to do. Um, at the time and actually it's funny you should say that because my when we kept it quite quiet when he was going through talks um, a, a regarding Help for Heroes and working there um, we then eventually when we knew it was happening told the girls and um, we said to them look your dad's leaving the army and um, he is going to have to get another um, job and it looks like we've you know it's all sort of sorted and I remember Jenna our eldest going oh what's he going to do <laughs> um, and because they were so hadn't realized how proud they were of their father being in the army and he said well actually I'm going to work at Help for Heroes and she went oh she said that's all right then <laughs> but that kind of feels like you're leaving but you're not really leaving so that's okay so, <laughs> So, yeah, they were all right about it. <laughs> oh, fantastic. That's it's a big, big part of our life, really. Yeah, and, and for you, I gather from speaking to uh, Josh uh, a while ago, that, that uh, some aspects of being with the military, if you like, have, have stayed with you because they the boys insist on going and doing dangerous stuff on bikes <laughs> up mountains and you end up picking oh, up yes. pieces. Was that a sort yes. of flashback for you? Oh gosh, that the incident with Josh in Mallorca was just horrific. Yeah, it was. No, it wasn't a flashback. Um, it was just. Oh, it was a surreal time. It was so scary. Um, I just remember waiting at the bottom of the mountain. We didn't know at the time uh, that he had been in this serious crash, although the three of us. Um, Jenny, myself and Anna, our three husbands were at the top of the mountain still. We knew that something had happened. Again, you have a sixth sense. It's weird. Mm -hmm. It's happened again, that sixth sense. So it, it, we just knew that we were involved. We didn't know which one was involved, but we knew somebody or all of them were, were, um, were in an accident. And the worst bit was just waiting and waiting and waiting. And we all sort of were trying to deal with it in our own sort of way. Um, we then had been told that there had been a bike crash, but we didn't again know. And we decided that we wouldn't phone the guys because if something had happened, they would ring us when they were ready. But actually, after a while, you think, OK, I'm going to ring now. And I remember uh, phoning. Uh, it was engaged first time. And then the second time I looked at Jenny, I went, oh, I said, somebody's picked up. But I don't know what had happened because all we could hear was sort of like scraping on the ground we heard Spanish voices it's David's phone but he hadn't answered it so somebody must have clicked it it's weird um and we just looked at each other and thought okay 
I, it's definitely them because I've got find my friends and they haven't moved a David's thing he was in the same place the whole time um and Anna kept saying to me check your find my friends have they moved have they moved yet and I have to be honest I lied to her and said I don't I don't seem to have any 3G I can't I don't know I'm not sure if they've moved um and then my phone rung and it was David and they all we all ran over and I remember David, he just, I went, what's happened? I said, okay, have you got, have you got Anna with you? I said, I have. He said, could you walk away, please? And then I just, oh, it was just awful. Because of course, Jenny and Anna still didn't know. They broke down. David told me what had happened and how serious it was. Um, and then sort of gave me a list of instructions of what needed to be done. Um, case and, and Anna said all she could hear was me going okay 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 and then I thought I've got to tell I remember turning around and she screamed is he dead um I said nobody's nobody's dead and I just remember looking at her it was the hardest thing and saying Anna I'm so sorry um and I just told her that he'd obviously been in an accident etc but oh it was yeah that's another one of those moments. Oh, what <laughs> menace. Why? I know. But do, do you find that uh, typical of, I suppose, the, the, the military spouse tends yeah. to go, this is what's happened over yeah. to you, and you end up picking yeah, up. Yeah, you do pick it up. Yeah, absolutely right. Okay, we need transport. We need this. Uh, right, who's going to go to hospital? Who's doing? Yeah, and then we just got in. But unlike you, Rupert, you were saying after your mess incident with a knife or something. Yeah, yeah it to you all a job as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jenny and I were a little bit more practical because we did know that Anna was unlikely to leave the hospital. We knew that she wouldn't want to come home. And I remember going through her suitcase and thinking, OK, she's going to need a phone charger, a wash kit, underwear, and actually being <laughs> yeah. quite, um, yeah, trying to think about what would, I, what would I want if I was there? Yeah. Um, and that was quite helpful. But, oh, um, yeah, that was a weird moment. Yeah. Yeah. Never I'll stop. I'll it will never stop. It will no, never stop. No, I do no. think it will. No, there'll be something else. Well, thank you so much, Alison, for being part of this. We like to ask a question to all our guests now, um, a final question, um, and that is, what does family mean to you? Everything. It's number one. I guess everyone's probably going to say that, so you're going to get the same answer from me. Yeah, yeah you, you soon learn what's the most important thing in the world. Yeah. yeah. You know, I guess you know it anyway, but, but it highlights it. Oh, brilliant. Well, Ali, thank you so much for taking part. Um, you've been absolutely brilliant. You've shared some incredible stories and also given another side to um, to David's podcast as well. You know, hearing about the, the side, which obviously he he wasn't seeing at the time, um, yeah. um, which was um, really fascinating because I, I do think we really skipped past the recovery section with um with david i do think we kind of went from incident to what you know to invictus very very quickly yeah. when actually there was what for four four year four or five year period um i didn't i didn't personally realize he was um it took four years um from from listening to him tell the his story i thought it was a lot quicker than that and 
that must have been really hard to go through for four four whole years. Um, and it's just amazing that after all that, you then went and gave something back. You decided to go and do something with it, which is what I love about all our guests that we've had on, is that they've they've all been through something, but it's not let them stop them. They've evolved from it and they've gone on to do fantastic things. Um, so thank you so much for being a part of this. Thank you so much. Thank Amazing. you. Well, thank you everyone for listening to episode six of the Give Us Time podcasts. So make sure to like and subscribe to the Give Us Time social media pages. And thank you very much for listening.